Today is Friday, January 13th, 2023, time for episode 185 of the Barnhart Podcast. And despite the up-tempo music, it is definitely a somber, uh, it's a somber reason that brings us all together. And no, it's not because Elvis's daughter died. Somebody else died, and we have the, the cast here to talk about it. I'll let Anne do the introductions, then I'm going to get back to my day job. All right. Thanks, Super Nerd. Really appreciate it. Um, obviously, first podcast back after after the events of the last two weeks, we have the 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 uh, the the triumvirate here. We have Dr. Matzo, we have non Vinnie Mark, and we have Super Nerd running the board. Gentlemen, welcome, Dr. Matzo. How are you? Oh, too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> Good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Non Vinnie Mark. What's shaking with you? Same here. We rest in the fruit of the second joyful mystery, hope. It's all good, folks. We're going to get is. there. It is. It's um, a glorious mystery, I guess it is. People are people are asking, oh, you know, what does it feel like now for the first time since April of two thousand five to be in a in a interregnum and in, with the sea vacant? You know, it it feels oddly similar to the way it did before, although I think we are all kind of sitting here um, teeth on edge now that Pope Benedict has been buried. He was buried on the 5th. Today's the 13th. Um, that we're all just kind of sitting here waiting for the other shoes to start dropping. Um, I think more than anything right now, um, in terms of teeth being on edge, I know that Nurse Claire really has her teeth on edge watching this. It's it really, really does seem like and I don't think that we're being I don't think that we're being paranoid that, you know, there's one or two deaths a day now of of notable people. Um, and it's picking up. <clears throat> it's picking up all over the world, um, you know, looking at this myocarditis situation and getting emails from people and confirming the fact that there's a lot of people who are legitimately terrified of um you know their own mortality and what the next year two years five years if they're going to survive that long because they made the mistake of taking the poison and i've resolved to stop using the word vaccine to refer to it at all because it's just it's not a vaccine it has nothing to do with vaccines it's poison it's just it's poison and if you say now in the in the 2023 if you say ask if a person was injected with the poison everybody knows exactly what you're talking about so gonna stop gonna stop um besmirching the word vaccine and just refer to it as poison so right now we're oscillating between teeth on edge over the uh, over the interregnum over the set of Acante and teeth on edge over people dropping dead so well definitely teeth on edge in terms of the secular world and the extension of what you just said and when when the vast majority of people who have no faith mm -hmm. come to realize as they're coming to realize in these very days that they've injected themselves with poison and they see people dropping dead left and right as that becomes sort of a mass psychosis yeah think about or don't maybe you don't want to think about it but we're very close to something happening on a secular level in broad society that i'm not sure i want to think about so we all have dr matza to thank for pointing out and bringing to the fore the whole notion of 
the Catacon of Second Thessalonians 2. And were you talking about that, Dr. Matza, before Vigano came out with that ridiculous Trump is the Catacon? Or, yes. Or uh, you were? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Dr. Marshall was kind enough to have me on his program back in May of 2020. And wow. uh, we were we were discussing it uh, uh, about, you know, the, the Pope being the catacomb based off of what St. Paul says in his second letter to the Thessalonians about the restrainer. Mm -hmm. And also how, uh, as uh, Cardinal Manning uh, argued, it's, it's the Pope and Christendom. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a what and it's a who. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then after that, yeah, other people started running with it. Um, and uh well in the in I, the wrong direction as it turns out with some of these people and i've i've since talked to people who actually know who vigano's ghost writer is and um it's this is not an intelligent or serious person i don't know what vigano is thinking um i think also from what i've been told is that um archbishop archbishop vigano prior to his going underground and all that was not only not familiar or having anything to do with with the traditional mass at all he was even kind of snippy and um dismissive of it i was told an anecdote of someone who ran into the, ran into him in the hallways of the holy office the big palace of the holy office which is right next to the vatican which houses the the cdf and also housed the ecclesia day offices until um bergoglio you know, ab abolished it or fake abolished it. Um, and someone ran in to Vigano in the hallway and said, oh, hello, Archbishop, hello, Excellency, da, da, da. And he said, well, what, and Vigano said, well, what, what do you do? Where do you work? And the person said, well, I work in the Ecclesia Day office here. Now, understand, this is right down the hall, basically, from where Vigano's offices at that time were. So, <laughs> He, he knew what this was. It, was. it was right there, proximate to where he was and where his offices were at the time. And Vigano played cattily, played dumb, and said, well, I don't know what that is. He said, well, the Ecclesia Day office right here, the Ecclesia Day, the one where you do the, the traditional mass. And Vigano huffily said, I, I'm sorry, I have no idea what that is. And it, it was one of those instances where it was very clear that he was being catty and snooty. Um, so understand that Vigano was not on board with anything TLM until whenever it was, time is so weird. Uh, when, when did McCarrick and all that happen? I wanna say 2017, until uh, 2017 I think. or 18, yeah. When all of that exploded and then Vigano comes on the scene and. I'm going off into into exile, and you'll never hear from me again. You know, except from except for hearing from him through this ghost, um, who's, you know, apparently writing things that are just spectacularly stupid. Like Donald J. Trump is the is the demiurge, catacon, uh, savior of the world. I mean, how's that turning out? You know, how's that looking for you? Just it, what was Trump just doing the other day, complaining about how, oh, you Republicans are so stupid if you had just allowed for abortion, um, early abortion and rape and incest and all this, then 
everything would have been fine and y'all are so stupid. Man, that's your boy, huh? That's that's who the Holy Spirit inspired St. Paul to write about in in the second chapter of his second letter to the Thessalonians. Tell me more. Tell me more. Didn't he also just have a big uh, shindig for the alphabet soup crowd? For the log cabin Republicans, hosted a huge soiree at Mar-a-Lago for the sodomites, using the first person plural pronoun. We have accomplished so much. We have advanced rights for sex perverts, blah, da, 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 da. And there's a few, there's a few diehard holdout people who are still thinking that this guy is on side. Operation Warp Speed, don't even need to get into that. Everybody knows about that. So yeah, it's a, it's a big, big mess. And now Vigano is doing things like going around and ordaining people who should not be ordained, namely the, um, the uh the monk in france who is a liturgist a very famous liturgist and was living as a monk in france because he's australian and if he ever dared step foot back in australia he would have been arrested on multiple counts of sodomitical assault so here's a thought maybe we shouldn't be ordaining this man to the holy priesthood but oh no 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 so Vigano's running around doing things like that and writing things that are frankly embarrassing at times to the point that it makes you wonder what what exactly is going on here. Now you hope and pray that he actually did have a a light bulb moment and said, "Why, of course the 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 venerable right of Pius V is objectively vastly superior and it was never abrogated and could never be abrogated per quo primum and et cetera, et cetera. I hope so. But at the same time, you got to, you got to be smart about these things. So. Yeah, there really is a convergence, right? All of the, or consilience, I think is a word that you use, Anne. Um, Yes. Trump and warp speed, poison, uh, LGBT, Mm -hmm. and, and, and now on to child mutilation. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So this is all inbounds. This is all perfectly acceptable to uh, the majority of society today. Yep. Um, I've got a children's hospital across the street from me that uh, 10 year olds. Yep. That's on site. 10 year olds. Yeah. Sex reassignment. So uh, I don't know how much God is going to tolerate beyond where we already are. Um, but, you know. Sodom and Gomorrah. I was told, Sodom and Gomorrah, we owe owe them an apology at this point, but I was actually told by someone years ago on the ground in Rome, and it put my jaw on the table when this was said, not only because of what was said, but more so by who was saying it. A very serious person, and the very serious person said, look, you'll know that we're coming close to the end of all this when people start openly talking about the human sacrifices that go on inside the Vatican. And I said, do you mean as in human sacrifices during satanic liturgies and black masses? And the person said, yes. That's when you'll know, when Hmm. people are openly talking about that. So we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But we are at a point where something like 40% of teenagers identify as alphabet soup. Yep. Like we've, we've, it's like a freight train, 
right now. Yeah. And the way that they're being handled, especially in public schools, is if you're not in the alphabet soup, mm-hmm. you're like not special at all. Yeah. Don't you want to be special? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something else. It, it's going to completely invert. The abnormal will become normal. And there are people, I know that there are people, older people who are probably listening to this in you know the audience demographic that we have. Younger people probably understand this, but I think there are probably older people who have been detached enough from the education system and all that and insulated enough in our own in our own communities that's the other thing that i hasten to remind especially trad catholics about a lot is that we are in this tiny little insulated bubble and we're not we're not a lot of us are not hanging out socializing having any sort of in-depth relationships or in-depth conversations with people who are outside of the trad catholic bubble and we don't understand we don't understand the ubiquitousness of all of this. We don't, it doesn't sink in, like Mark just said, what percentage of these kids are saying that they are sex perverts openly, and that it could even be possible that it would get to the point that a plurality of children would would say, I am, I am a sex pervert. Um, it, it absolutely can and could and will get to that point. Um, it is it is now the rebellion that I suppose when I was a kid, the rebellion was the kids who smoked cigarettes. I mean, cigarettes is what I'm talking about. Kids who smoked cigarettes and what else was rebellious when I was a kid? Well, I mean, just girls who would who would engage in any sort of sexual activity. Um, that was still, I mean, there were plenty of them doing it, but it was still you know, she's one of those girls, you know, um, and now it's just the, the moral situation is just going into complete and total inversion. And like Mark said, you know, how much, how much longer and, and farther can this go? We're now looking at, um, we're now looking at, you know, the words of our lady, the prophecy of our lady, the entire, entire nations will be annihilated. All right. If how many billion people have been injected with the poison, of them a certain non-trivial percentage and some people are saying everybody who got any sort of a hot batch that they have heart damage they have heart damage whether it's subclinical or whether it's advanced what level it is depends on how hot the batch was etc cetera, etc cetera. but there there are credible people are now saying that if you got that poison and it really was poison and it wasn't a saline um then you you should just assume that you have heart damage. Okay, someone just emailed me today, what again is the survival window on myocarditis? It is um, 50% fatal in within five years. So it's a five-year window. And what Nurse Claire is terrified about is that we're just, that window has now just been opened. And what we're seeing now is just the beginning of this. And over the next however many years and however long people keep injecting themselves with this stuff. Because at this point, I think there's kind of a religious frenzy to it. I think at this point, people have, have adopted it, whether they even consciously realize it or not, they have adopted it as a religion. And so it's, it's the equivalent of, I don't know what, what the best analogy would be. I suppose like being a suicide bomber or something, you know, proving, proving how, how strong your religious faith is by going and continuing to do something 
that is is Russian roulette or or demi demi suicidal um, that these people are going to keep going. And a lot of them, because they don't have any faith, um, I think a lot of them are depressed to the point that they're not interested in living to old age or, or anything like that. Most of them don't have kids, and a lot of them, due to the poison, are probably not going to have kids now because it's also a sterilant. That's clear. The numbers in Taiwan and Germany and Switzerland and I think Austria, there's other countries that have come out. I mean, you're looking at ninth standard deviation reductions in in live births year to year, and I believe that was Germany. Taiwan was a 26th standard deviation reduction year to year in live births. That's just, that's not possible. I mean, the ninth standard deviation reduction is akin to an event like an, an, an extinction level asteroid hitting the earth, literally. That's the odds. 26th standard deviation is just not even, there's, there's no statistical probability that that could just randomly happen. It's obvious what has happened. And so um, there's no investment in the future. There's no desire to live. There's absolutely no capacity to embrace suffering. So it's, um, like Mark said, it's not gonna be pretty. It's not gonna be pretty. I think it'll be interesting to see um, the sort of the normies in the middle that, you know, there's a lot of people who took the first two shots but stopped there. Yeah. And then there's a, another bunch of people that did take the third one but stopped there. The number of people who are getting this uh, mouse juice is very low. It's it's less than 4% of, uh, so I don't know what that means, but it, it, it at least means people realize that it's not effective, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they don't recognize that it's that it could be harmful, they at least recognize that it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, or, or could even make them more prone to to get sick if, mm -hmm. if not not maybe die, but uh, more prone to get sick. And there's a lot of evidence out there for that. But um, I don't know. I don't know if this just keeps going and they have a sixth and a seventh. But it's it's no, you know what it is. They're already talking about it. We already know what it's going to be. They're going to start mandating it in um, meat production. So cattle, hogs, anything that we eat, they're going to mandate that that. Um, meat production animals are going to have to be vaccinated with with this stuff and they're going to try to get it into the food supply like that i had not heard that yeah yeah well that's terrifying that's so you know someone emailed me and said what do you think about that and i said well i hope war breaks out before then and if it doesn't i hope that that's the impetus for war to break out I hope the cattlemen stand and say, nope, I'm not doing that. And if you want to roll in here with guns, then that's what's going to have to happen. Well, there's going to be a huge black market for yep. pure blood cattle. Yep, absolutely. There's going mm. to be a black market for, for clean human blood. Um, life insurance is going to be probably at some point you'll know, you'll really know that the tide has turned when life insurance companies start saying in order for you to get a life insurance policy you have to go get a full cardiac workup we want well, to see how about existing policies at some point the the tables collapse right yep they're going to have absolutely. to come back you think you have a 20 year term policy fixed mm -hmm. premium no you don't no, you don't. They're not going to be able to survive. They're going to have to come back and take up those premiums. Mm -hmm. 
and they're going to probably start doing it wouldn't surprise me if at some point it emerges that they start doing blood tests to pr to prove that you haven't been injected well that's what i was going to ask how do you prove that you haven't taken it is um, there do, do, will, can you take a blood test or could there be one devised i think one could be devised i think i think that the evidence would be visible with a test and plus they're going to I mean, this is crass, but if one were in the in the mode of getting in on the ground floor of a business that is about to explode, it would be opening clinics that do nothing but do MRIs and cardiac workups. Because within the next probably this year sometime, the the insurance company is going to have absolutely no choice, but they're going to have to demand that people have cardiac workups. And if you don't think this has anything to do with church stuff, folks, it, it's all tied together. I, I oh, mentioned yeah. it a minute ago. This and the the whole uh, alphabet soup crowd and, and the trans, especially the trans. The trans is the biggest inversion and the biggest... I don't know that I could imagine something more Luciferian in terms of inversion and the whole idea that, uh, you know, Lucifer, he's not able to create anything so mm -hmm. something like trans surgery is almost like the ultimate luciferian act i don't know yeah and it also bears mentioning that cardinal pell just died the other day and a lot of people are asking me oh do you think he was murdered do you think he was murdered well the short answer would be yes but i think that what he was murdered by was the poison injection um i'm i'm pretty sure in fact i'm almost certain that he had had the injections and well, so let me ask you this um because there was actually speculation in some quarters about benedict actually having died apparently there was this big push for and i haven't researched this so it, it may not be true but that in italy in mid-december there was a huge push for the fourth vax uh you know like flooding the the airwaves kind of thing and possibly could benedict have gotten it maybe well, against his wishes who knows could pell have been i don't know how long pell had been in rome if he just got there for the funeral or or how no, long he'd no, been no. there he's been, he'd been living here since he was released from prison in australia as soon as ah, he was released okay. from prison which was in like april of 2020 he immediately got on a plane and flew to rome and he had and he had been living in a in a in an apartment about a block off of off of St. Peter's Square. He he'd been living right there for, you know, two and a half, working on three years. So he was very much ensconced in Rome. In terms of Benedict, um, he he was 95, which is exactly the age that his brother died at, if I'm not mistaken. And there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for age of death heritability everyone in my family dies when they're 94 so not 93 and not 95 94 um so there's that the other thing is that in his last audience that was that was publicly released pictures of which was in mid-december and it just it was one of those face palm face palm rub your forehead shake your head moments his last audience was giving the Ratzinger Prize to a Jesuit, and wait for it, a Talmudic Jew rabbi. 
but the my point the point is is that there's the picture taken of him where you know he was sitting in that in that white wingback chair that he was always sitting in and if you look at his ankles his ankles look like tree trunks and that that was a new development and i you know immediately showed that to nurse claire and i said look at the edema in his ankles and she said yeah that's kidney failure and that's what they said. They said he had kidney failure. So I think he probably developed kidney failure and just said, I decline all treatment for this. Well, that's what I was going to ask. If he, when they announced that he was in renal failure, that my first question was, well, is he on dialysis? Because I've never heard of that before. No. But he may have declined it. You're right. And there's also an anecdote that somebody, and this this sounds totally like him, that someone had gone and said, well, a very traditional Italian uh, salute is, you know, many years, long life, whatever. And his reply was, oh, don't say that. I don't want that. I mean, think about that. What a, what a terrible thing to say, you know, and so you, shouldn't, you shouldn't say things like that. Even if you are old and even if you are feeble, you shouldn't say things like that, especially Well, they also him. say, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, they also say you shouldn't speak ill of the dead, but I think we need to talk about a few things because I'm yeah. seeing all sorts of talk about sainthood and even Doc being declared doctor a doctor church. of the church. Oh my gosh. Come you on. You guys, <laughs> no, no, no. Take it from us who have suffered through reading the Ratzingerian Ouv from all the way back. Oh no, doctor of the church? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. I mean, it's, and he's not the worst. It, Ratzinger's writings weren't the worst of them. There are a lot of the, them that were just, it was just word salad gobbledygook. But Mark and Dr. Matzah, you're probably much better than either of the two of us are at reading of those academic writings. But man, you want to talk about slow, go, slow going, getting through that stuff. Paragraphs that have to be reread four times to just even asking yourself, okay, what, what is the point of this? What is he saying? And then you read an entire essay or an entire chapter or something, and you get to the end and you ask yourself, okay, what was his conclusion? And you honestly kind of don't know. And you say, well, I need to go read this again. And that, that kind of lack of clarity is not indicative of a doctor of the church. A doctor of the church is going to write just crystal clear, accessible, here is my thesis, here is my argument, and here is my conclusion, and bing, it's this, it's this beautiful thing. Dr. Matsu, you're the academic. What do you say about that? <clears throat> well, don't, don't resort to name-calling now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's keep this civil, at least at the let's beginning of our <laughs> conversation. Um, <clears throat> yeah, with all due respect, to the good people at Ignatius Press, uh, no, a, a doctor of the church, no. no. Um, yeah, I, I'm suffering from Regensburg syndrome, you know, like Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually very tempted to believe all this because I've been reading it and, uh, you know, I, I have to fight this nouvelle theologian mm. inside of me. It's like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, Dr. Mazza, Mr. Hyde. Um, well, Dr. Matsu, if you descend into heresy, Mark and I are going to come burn you. So. <laughs> well, that's, that's, what, that's, that's what's my saving hope, is that you will hit me over the head with a two-by-four before I go off the rails. So, um, <laughs> and, uh, anyway, so uh, where shall we begin? 
Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, Benedict, his writings. Uh, you know, I'm not recommending the Sedes in any way, shape, or form. But if you oh, go we, to Nova's, oh wait wait a new era now, Doctor Matza, we have to be clear when we uh, talk that's true. about Sedes. Well, that's. <laughs> I, don't, I, I can't tell you how many people have come up to me now and said, so, Dr. Maza, are you a Sede now? And, and I, it's like that old question, do you still beat your wife? Do you still beat your wife? <laughs> uh, we're in an interregnum, my good man. This well, happens the, quite one of the, Go ahead. This happens quite frequently in church history. Indeed, indeed. I put the counter on my blog. There is a days, hours, minutes, seconds counter on my blog showing Excellent. how long the sea has been vacant <laughs> so that there's just no no nonsense. And there's still, there's there's trolls still still emailing me and, and oh, uh, 50, 1958 set of Acandus trolls. And it's just, it's weird. And, Mark, well, and, you, Fra- and Francis is definitely Pope trolls and, are hurling yes, that at it's, us. Yeah, you're, you're getting it from both sides. But Mark and I talked about this about the 58 sedes especially is that i mean there are some of them that are god bless them very very kind good people but there's a lot of them who just descend into a vicious prideful obsessive i i don't know what it is i mean i guess you should be very you should be very very concerned about the state of the papacy and who is and who isn't but it, it just gets weird. It gets really weird. And you're worshiping bread and you're none of the masses that you go to are valid and you, you're out of the church. We're in and you're out. And you know what, you know what occurred to me? You know what it smacks of? Like almost a direct parallel? Talmudic Judaism. We are the chosen people. We are the elite. You all are out. We're in. Ha ha ha. And it has that, it smacks of that. And so we're all getting heckled. Good. I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear you gentlemen are getting heckled too. It's not just me. Look, I tell people, um, the, the longest that we've been uh, in an interregnum is uh, three years. Okay, the, that was a the, question I had. Which, which mm-hmm. one is that? Which interregnum is that? It's it's in it's in the last millennium, um, but I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Because the that list bet- I found mm-hmm. that the four longest were all two years and something, but there's yeah, another like, like one. Two years and nine months, I think, is the longest yeah. one, mm-hmm. and that happened, I think, with Nicholas or somebody like in the twelve late twelve hundreds, twelve eighties or something. Was that the um, one where a Catholic king got together an army and marched on Rome and, and locked the, the cardinals in the Sistine Chapel and said, I'm not letting you out until you elect a Pope? <laughs> that was Viterbo. Well, that, they they locked them into a chapel in the city of Viterbo and the people were they crawled up on the roof of this of this chapel in Viterbo and cut a hole in the ceiling and were pelting them with um, rotten fruits and vegetables and screaming at them because they they would not elect a pope. They wouldn't get their acts together. That's when people actually cared. <laughs> you know I mean? there, there was nobody, there were, there were none of the people, you know, the one Peter five types writing, writing the, the 2000 page, 2000 word essay saying it really doesn't matter and the papacy doesn't matter. I mean, people really cared back in the day. It's true. You got to love those feisty Italians. Yeah. Um, um, where was I? So, yeah. So, you know, let's say, 
you know, a little less than three years is the longest interregnum that we've had. Mm -hmm. Nine years is the longest we've had an anti-pope actually sitting on the chair in mm -hmm. Rome, mm -hmm. if we go according to St. Bernard of Clairvaux, Clairvaux and Pope Innocent yeah. II. Mm -hmm. um, and then f I guess 40, around 40 years is the longest we've ever gone with uh, three, you know, two or three men claiming at the same time to be the Pope. Mm -hmm. uh, so what the Sedes are claiming that, you know, 1958 to today, it's what, mm -hmm. 60, 64, Four. 65? Yeah, 64 years. Uh, yeah. That's really pushing it. <laughs> well, and there's, and the other point is that, of course, every everybody that Pius twelfth brought in, elevated, handed a hat to, they're all dead. They're all long dead. So I think the um, last one just died the last priest i think who was ordained by wow Pius the 12th yeah um and that brings up another thing i don't know if we want to switch gears or descend even further into the abyss here uh, <laughs> in our submersible uh but uh i was talking with a canon lawyer friend of mine and um we were talking about uh, the fact that there are r reports that uh, there's going to be conclaves in rome yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an absolute goat rope. There are gonna be people crawling out of the woodwork who are gonna be claiming that they're convening this and they're convening that. Um, the one that's the most, the one that you just sit and shake your head and and don't worry too much about this because everybody is one thousand percent onto this guy. Is that fake? The fake Franciscan friar con artist. He's been laying the groundwork. He declared not too long ago that anybody who had had the death injection has lost their office. I don't know if he says that they're they're no longer valid. Pre I, I don't even know what that, that insaniac, but it's clear that what he's doing is he's gonna go to Rome and he's gonna assemble, you know, a room full of schizophrenics and, you know, postmenopausal women having hot flashes. And they will, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, um, elect him Pope. I, 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 I have seen this coming for quite some time, and a lot of people on the ground are fully aware of this guy, and nobody takes this guy seriously. The issue is, is he, is he base, is he stealing money from people with his grift between that and Ukraine, and trying to trying to get young men to go over there and be killed as mercenaries in Ukraine? It's just how how in the world is this guy not in prison? Frankly. Um, He's, he's going to try to do something that, I mean, you remember God rest his soul. He just recently died and, and, um, it said that he died well and he was reconciled to, to the church on his deathbed. But remember fake Pope Michael in St. Mary's, Kansas. I, th I think a year from today, there might be dozens of fake Pope Michaels running around. It's, it's going to be an absolute mess. It's a, it's going to be a complete mess. And the sad thing is, is this is a question that has come up in every serious meeting that I've had with people about this and, you know, seriously sitting down and talking about canon law. It just keeps coming up. What do we do with these cardinals that that Bergoglio has given hat, given a hat to? Um, there's historical precedence for grandfathering people in under Ecclesia Suplet. But then the other side of the argument is, is Ecclesia Suplet can never be used for, for an act that is malicious or evil. And it's clear that a lot of these red hats that Bergoglio has handed out have been acts of malice d designed to destroy the church. Um, 
giving it to sodomite heretics, but I repeat myself, I mean, criminals, it's, it's, it's a really bad situation. And um, from where I sit, the whole College of Cardinals needs to be jur juridically, it needs to be completely liquidated and rebooted with 12 men, 12 is a good number in the church, right? You know, um, but how, how do you get anybody to do that? Nobody's stepping up. Okay, Pell is dead. So who's left? Burke, um, some would say Mueller, but he's a, he, he goes with the wind. I mean, it's who, who's left? Who's going to be left? And by, by the way, I just said, oh, that uh, uh, Cardinal Pell just, just died uh, yesterday, day before yesterday. And I think that the jab probably killed him. But let me also say, if I were Cardinal Burke, I would not be eating any food that wasn't prepared right in front of me either. And I'm not mm. kidding. I'm not mm -hmm. kidding. So, Dr. Matza, give us give us clarity, please. Uh, well, you're probably barking up the wrong tree there. But, uh, <laughs> um, well, I, again, I was talking with a canon lawyer source that I have, mm -hmm. uh, and he tells me that the only way that, as far as he can think, that the current College of Cardinals would lose its right to elect the next pontiff would be if uh, all of the cardinals appointed by john paul or benedict uh turned 80 right because at that point uh it would be a totally bergolian mm -hmm. um set of con you know set of cardinals there um then you can maybe make the argument but he makes the argument that uh even an anti-pope has supplied jurisdiction which means yes. that even an anti-pope because it's a uh, because it's an administrative act yep can can make legitimate cardinals now you said that if if they have malicious intent that would void that but my source tells me that legal acts and their validity um do not generally rest on the subjective aims of the author um mm. it it uh appointments in general can be invalid like due to simony Mm -hmm. uh, or if the appointee lacks a quality that's required by law, but a malicious aim of the Pope does not in itself invalidate anything. Although he adds, uh, it makes him a schismatic Pope, which, uh, well, anyway, we're, we're probably well, that's not possible. Anyway. That's not possible. So <laughs> that's a contradiction of terms. <laughs> yeah. So like, for example, Zuppi, uh, this, this Zuppi, this Italian Cardinal, I think he's the Cardinal Archbishop of Bologna right now. He's a total fag. Everybody knows this. And uh, he's he's completely 1000% behind the sodomite agenda. He's publicly stated this. He's publicly written the forward of books. Um, there's there was a in Bologna with his approval. There was a pseudo matrimonial blessing of a sodomite couple in a church in downtown Bologna with with his approval. And he also publicly stated that anybody who committed suicide by euthanasia, that he would happily give them a Catholic funeral mass, no questions asked. So he's, he's ratifying sodomy and he's ratifying suicide. So you got the sixth commandment with the sodomy, you've got the fifth commandment with the suicide. And then, I mean, talk about the sacrilege. That's, that's all the way up to the second commandment. Um, so... Well, that brings us to the next thing, and that is that public material heretics exactly. lose their office automatically. So, is is would Zuppi, 
because he's such a he's a public public heretic clearly not catholic of course bergoglio hands him a hat of course he does okay what do you what do you do with zuppi and the the other thing you, you the the listenership needs to know about zuppi is all of the ecclesia day trad communities think zuppi is the bee's knees because he's the kind of guy that has to be liked by everybody um he's a he's one of these really simpering he's a real simpering sodomite and just has to have approval from everybody and so he'll he'll nod and smile to absolutely everybody he celebrated he celebrated the mass years ago at the fssp parish in rome he had no idea what he was doing but he did do it they walked him through it um so they all think well if if zuppi's the next one in uh then he'll play nice with us well, and I'm like, really, is Satan going to play nice with you? Because you understand that's who's driving all of this, right? So I, I'm, I'm skeptical because I, I still think there's, there's such a bunch of, of woke maniacs that they won't elect an Italian because an Italian is white. I think the next one has to be brown of some shade, you know, so. African, let's hope. Well, they're not they're not electing Sarah, I can tell you that right well, now. They're not going to Yeah, do and that. I don't know about Sarah uh, Sarah to uh Sarah, yes, yes. to to, to any length uh, either, but I just wanted to bring up uh, one point in terms of the Bergolian cardinals. We not only have uh the question of supply jurisdiction, but also and what's happened in the past and Dr. Matza correct me if I'm wrong, when they've been grandfathered in and allowed to keep their their red hats, they they were barred from the subsequent conclave, or they you know voluntarily re- recuse themselves. Uh, so uh, that's one point. The second point is there are some question as to whether are every one of these cardinals was brought before Pope Benedict mm. and received mm-hmm. his apostolic blessing. So doesn't that alone make them legitimate? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, an apostolic blessing is not the same thing as an administrative act. But they they genuflected before him and essentially did obeisance to him in a in a weird way. It's it, it's 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 a datum that contributes to the data set, and it's another reason why everybody's just sitting around going, "What what, what do we do here? What what is this? Talk about unprecedented! This is really the only thing about this situation that is not cut and dried. Is what do you do with these cardinals, and what do you do when well, Bergoglio either dies or fake resigns from an office that he's never held? Go ahead, Dr. Mata. Maybe I'm. Uh, overly optimistic or overly pessimistic, depending on how you interpret my answer here. But uh, I'm, I think my mind turns to a statement of Cardinal George, the late uh, Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, who in, you know, in some ways was a friend of tradition and conservative Catholicism, etc. Uh, he was, you know, he was ill, I guess, with cancer and died. And before he died, uh, he said, that my uh, successor uh, will die in prison, mm-hmm. and his successor uh, will die a martyr in the public square. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's uh, just exponentially apply the Chicago situation to the rest of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that will solve the problem. Well, many people said that Pope Benedict did die a prisoner, so... 
if you if you map that onto the papacy um it's and then i mean then you get into the the prophecy of uh what malachi and all of that which pope benedict believed that the prophecy of malachi that that big list of popes um pope benedict said that he believed that that came from the um the circle of my personal patron saint philip neri um that that came out of philip neri's circle that it was not it was not actually malachi malachi but but you know something that was right. or um was it that or was it the um uh, the saint francis the one attributed to saint francis no that you've got it right it's yeah uh, the malachi, malachi list yeah 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 so and um uh maybe this is a good segue into ganswine yeah. Uh, Speaking about seems... prisons and prison guards, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, because uh, in his speech that he gave, his infamous speech at the Greg mm -hmm. in uh, tw May of 2016, at the very beginning of his talk, uh, he talks about uh, Peter Seewald of Munich, mm -hmm. who was the biographer of uh, Benedict. I mean, two books, one in 2016 one in 2020, both containing mm -hmm. interviews with uh, the Holy Father. And um, uh, at the very beginning of his speech, uh, Archbishop Ganswine says that uh, as he was leaving his last interview with him, I guess this was in the 2015-2016 this was the 2015, 2016 interview, he said, are you the end of the old or the beginning of the new? And uh, Ganswine says, the Pope's answer was brief and sure. The one... And the other, he replied. Um, now this comes up, I think, in the in the 2020 book, because obviously it was the recorder. Ganswine says that Seawalt had turned off his recorder uh, at this juncture when when Benedict actually said it. But anyway, long story short, if you read the especially the second biography that Seawalt has of him, Benedict does, as you say. Uh, say that he thinks that the prophecy of Malachi came from the circle of St. Philip Neri and his, his disciples. And um, and he does kind of say that he is the, on the one hand, the last pope, uh, but on the other hand, the first pope, or, so, you know, words along those mm -hmm. lines. And that's kind of weird. You know, weird. With, with that with that crystal clarity that doctors <laughs> of the church are, are so famous for. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, not, uh, Mark, you had uh, suggested that we should read, for the record, uh, parts of Ganswine's speech. Did you want to yes. say Dramatic that? Dramatic reenactments are, are <laughs> one of my favorite things. Yeah, well, so are you guys going to split it, or Mark, are you, are you going to be the no, voice of doc, Ganswine? Dr. Matza is going to do it, and I don't know what... In class earlier this week, Dr. Matza read out the, uh, the Ganswine speech in its entirety, which I'm sure that's the first time... I actually had someone read it to me versus like reading off a page. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've already read it 20 times. Yeah. But it hit me with a clarity and a, and a newness that I was shocked by it. And maybe it's just, you know, hearing it verbally read out to you live. But I, I'd really like to get into, if not the whole thing, uh, at least a greater portion of it here. And... Just a comment before I, I lose it on the um, on the Seawald interviews is that when you hear responses like that from Benedict, don't think for a minute that any of it is off the cuff. 
He knows all the questions in advance, if not having written the questions himself, right? So well, I think a lot of these interviews are done in writing. Mm. I think. I think it's, I'm going to email you a series of questions and then you write and compose and email them back. I think that's how a lot, I can't say for a, a metaphysical certainty that that's what that was. I think Seawall did go to Rome and did sit down with him, but I think the lion's share of that stuff is done in writing. My point being just, you know, none of his responses are quips or off the cuff or just like uh, flippant, you know, they're all well thought out. I mean, let's give them that at least. Mm-hmm. hmm Okay, Dr. Matza, are you ready? Okay, yes. Yeah. So uh, let me preface this with a shameless plug. If you want to hear shocking things that be stirred <laughs> in your soul, you too can sign up for Pope History 102 starting this Lent. If you go to edmundmazza.com, uh, you can sign up for the new Mazza course on Pope History where we talk about these things. Uh, and also I have a, a brand new course on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, nothing really, nothing really else matters, right? So we got to focus on that. So that's another course I'm starting, starting Ash Wednesday. Go to So one, Papal History 102, what's the time, what's the bracket there of from this Pope to which Pope? Yeah, so my aim is not to make a standard, you know, first there was this Pope, then there was that Pope, then there was that Pope, but to take these questions that are swirling right now, like, can a pope mm-hmm. actually undermine moral theology? Can a pope actually publish heresy? Uh, can Catholics lawfully resist a pope? To take those questions and then go back in history and look at different cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're in this second half, you know, the spring semester, uh, where our focus is going to be on the popes from the early Middle Ages to the Renaissance. So this is some of the juiciest stuff. Yeah, really. Uh, some of and, the most weird stuff. <laughs> and, and But I would hasten to remind the listenership that most of that stuff that was going on was, it was Catholics against Catholics having political squabbles. Because remember, the Papal States was, was a kingdom. It was the, it was the, it was all of central Italy. It was all of the center of the Italian peninsula. So what they were jockeying over was control of a of a country, literally, and who was going to be the elected monarch of this country. Um, and so it's back then, yeah, they're all fighting in their anti-papacies, but they're all Catholics. And I think, Mark, this kind of circles back to what we were talking about, that when you're, you're got it, you have people being grandfathered in and, you know, this anti-pope, this, that, and the other, these people were all Catholics. None of these men were, you know, just spouting heresy and, and, you know, worshiping, worshiping demon idols and, or any of this stuff. These were all practicing and believing Catholics. Oh, now a lot of them were, were bankers. And so, you know, you can, you can compartmentalize that and put that over on the side, but these were Catholics fighting with Catholics. It wasn't this business of these people being, you know, being, sworn enemies of the church and trying to destroy the church qua church it was men squabbling over control of the kingdom of central italy called the papal states yep. dr matza what is that that's that's, that's i mean I'll t- I, I, I can i can just add one point to that is the uh i think what you said is right and especially as it applies to uh the time that we're in right now Mm-hmm. And all of these open heretics that obviously, you know, and, and, and a public heretic places himself outside the church. 
to say nothing of the fact that they, uh, they can't hold ecclesiastical office. They're outside the church by means of their public heresy. Mm-hmm. So it's in a completely uh, different scenario uh, oh, yeah. today. But what uh, the Pope classes have rarely helped me with is to be able to look at the uh, pre-Trent era, you know, uh, let's say from the 800s to the 1500s. What you see there is a messy church and, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of different areas where popes contradicted popes and, you know, not necessarily that uh, there were doctrinal errors and, and things like that, but it was messy. And it really helps me to understand, you know, we, we tend to look at the church, especially the 1958 SETIs. They think the church started at Trent and they look at the monolith from, you know, 1570 to 1870. Mm -hmm. And they say, look at all of this continuity. Look at all of this, you know, all everyone's singing from the same hymnal. Well, that's not the way it always was. And if you only study that 300 year period, and then you look at the last 60 years, you're going to be really confused. Mm-hmm. I'll stop there. Okay. Just to add on to that, uh, before I forget, uh, there's an article in Crooks magazine, and uh, that's the way I pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> well but, done. Uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> I stole that from somebody. I don't know who, but... Uh, which says, uh, cardinals in different camps agree papal resignation should be rare. Uh, it's like Hillary Cl- Clinton talking about abortion or something, right? We're, Safe, uh, legal, and rare. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and in fact, that's not even, not even really attributable, attributable to her because she wants it everywhere, anywhere, anytime, right? Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, the article talks about how Cardinal Mueller and a recently appointed cardinal, speaking of Bergoglio's recent appointments, Gianfranco Gerolanda, who's the mm-hmm. former head of the Gregorian University in Rome, uh, they both gave talks at a book opening uh, the other day, and the title of the book in Italian is, let's see here, do 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 Papa... Non più Papa, Pope, no longer Pope, which is a collection of reflections from canonists, theologians, and other experts on the act of papal resignation and its implications. Uh, and Correct so, me if I'm uh, wrong, but isn't Ghirlanda one of the four that was cited even before March 13th in that interstitial time period when there were there were Italian canonists jumping up and down saying, no, 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 this, 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 no, no, no. I th- I'm pretty sure Ghirlanda was one of them, wasn't he? Ghirlanda weighed in on it. Uh, I, I have to go back and read the article. He, I don't think he objected to the Pope Emeritus, but he did talk about papal resignations and things. Dr. Mazza, it's pronounced Emeritus. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, I, 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 I got to take this. Well, you know, we, we have a new member of the of the club, um, the White House pre- press secretary. Did you see her? Jean-Pierre. Yes, the, the black lesbian who got her job, clearly only because she's a black lesbian, um, on the day that Pope Benedict died at the, at that day's presser was, 
struggling mightily and never successfully pronounced the word. I don't. Was she saying emeritus or Emma? Emma emeritus. 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 Uh, yeah. There's a lot of that going Those, around. A lot of it going around, but um, it's still my it's still my favorite. Co- what what's uh, what? How did um, what does what's his name o- O'Reilly? Because I I. I Amaratus sour, because, you know, Amaratus sour. <laughs> For those listeners who don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, we should, we should explain this inside baseball. <laughs> you know, every superhero has their nemesis. For Dr. Maza, uh, lately it's been Stephen O'Reilly. We, 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 we debated each other. Uh, almost a year ago, on Timothy Gordon's uh, Rules for Retrograde. Oh, that was Gordon. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, if you want to, you know, some want make some popcorn and watch an entertaining debate, uh, you can watch Maza O'Reilly, uh, the the thriller in Manila, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll you'll get the inside jokes here. And it's it was a debate. What was the best part of that? Was it the fact that O'Reilly could not, to save his life, pronounce the word emeritus? Uh, and and I, I would hasten to remind the the listenership too, O'Reilly is literally a allegedly retired CIA spook. So not you know, allegedly. allegedly, that's in his signature line. It's, the, it's, yeah, it's in a signature line. That's right. That's right. So put your tinfoil hat on right there. Uh, <laughs> it's the it's the it's the accessory of the, of the decade. All the cool kids are wearing the tinfoil hat. But um, ex CIA spook does not know how to pronounce the word emeritus, which is the sign of a truly educated person. But what was that the best part of that interview? Or was the best part of that interview the fact that O'Reilly wasn't even smart enough to silence his phone and his phone kept ringing and his ringtone was literally the theme from I Dream of Jeannie. You can't make this up, kids. So, da Dun, 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 dun. Uh, it was it was it was it was exquisite it was just exquisite uh we'll, we'll put the we'll find we'll dig up that video and we'll put it in the show notes because everybody should watch that everybody should watch that so so wait what, what were we okay, talking uh, about <laughs> Going so back. uh well talk in terms of show notes so the the, the name of this book i i, I by the way I, I don't profit from this in any way but the name of the book is, it's in Italian, so I don't know how many people are going to actually look at this now. But I bring it up because it's uh, it's uh, Pope, uh, not Pope, I think that's the name of it here. Or no longer Pope. No longer Pope, right. Yeah, Papa, yeah, yeah. non più Papa. Yeah, and I, Pope, I bring it no up because yeah. we were, uh, some of these it, it, top-notch people are in this book. They've contributed essays to it. Let me just read off some of these names. So Val- Valerio Gilitti is one of the guys who uh, did come out with an essay about Benedict not resigning the Munis, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. when in, back in February or March of 2013, okay? Um, other people in this book are uh, Roberto Regoli, who's, who had his, his own book, and that's the book that Ganswine is talking about when he's giving his famous speech in May of 2016. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 right? okay, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So Gianfranco Ghirlanda is in here, and he's a heavy hitter, uh, as well as Geraldina Boni, uh, who's a, mm-hmm. a famous canonist. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, she's one of the people, and I'm sure some of these other people are among the people, that are actually working right now with the Vatican on a, on, on, 
uh, let's put it this way, like an official text about what to do in case of papal resignation. Mm -hmm. Like they're actually working on canon law, a proposed canon law as we speak. Uh, and Mueller thinks that we really shouldn't write this up officially. It should be so rare that you don't actually write legislation about it. Exactly. Whereas, uh, don't make this a precedent that this is the worst possible yeah. thing that can happen. But well, Gianfranco Gerlanda and other that, people are saying, no, it, because it's so messy, we need procedures. We need exact, what is a Pope Emeritus? And we need actual rules to, to go by. But, but, but what and, and isn't that point very telling, though? And I, I've brought this up a couple times, that Pope Benedict didn't do that. He had a couple yeah. weeks to, you know, if he'd been thinking about this for a while, he had a couple weeks to insert into canon months. law. A couple months. Yeah. you know how this was going to work and how it would, you know, become part of the church law. And it's doubly interesting that the, that Bergoglio had 10 years to make mm -hmm. it part of canon law and he never codified it. That there's mm -hmm. something to that. And what has happened now, as we've seen over the past, um, what's nearly two weeks now since Pope Benedict died, it's, it was a complete Freemasonic victory in the sense that the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth died and he got this ridiculous, non, almost non-funeral funeral. funeral. Uh, Anti-Pope Bergoglio sat there, delivered a eulogy in which he only, he only mentioned Pope Benedict one time at the very end and basically said he was a very nice guy and that was it. Then at the end, um, so I mean, you, you can go down the list of all of the indignities. It was not a state, it was not a state funeral. Okay, the vicar of Christ on earth dies. The monarch, the earthly monarch of monarchs dies and there's no state funeral. And a lot of the monarchs in Europe were absolutely just enraged by this. In fact, Queen Sophia, Queen Consort Sophia of Spain, this is another piece of information that I got from Rome, she called Perilin and chewed his butt up one side and down the other. How dare you? How dare you treat the Vicar of Christ like that? What? And the point that, you know, a lot of people have made is no matter what your position on whether or not his resignation was valid or not, he was the vicar, everybody agrees that he was the vicar of Christ on earth for at minimum eight years. Everybody agrees on that. He was the earthly monarch of monarchs. For him to get that kind of a funeral, they told people not to send official delegations. They told people not to wear formal wear. They told people not to wear any regalia indicating, um, you know, that they were representatives of, of the states or anything. All of these indignities, all of this stuff that they did to him, hauling his body into the Petrine Basilica in an old gray cargo van. I mean, just stuff like that, just absolutely horrible. And he was numbered among the criminals. He was numbered among the criminals. And um, this is a complete Freemasonic victory. The Vicar of Christ on Earth just died and got a pop and basically got the, the ecclesial equivalent of a pauper's funeral a begrudgingly held pauper's funeral. Um, so the Freemasons are jumping up and down with joy. And um, am, am I right, guys, that the only uh, serious politician to speak up there was Victor Orban? Yeah. Yep. 
So um, while we're on, yeah, so I, I'm, I am getting to, to reading uh, uh, Ganswine here. Well, just one more interesting factoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I can say as of today that BIP has now gone officially mainstream mm-hmm. uh, because yours truly got an article published in English in uh, Archivio Juridico, Ooh. which is a, uh, a very scholarly, very uh, fancy schmancy uh, established uh, journal, uh, respected. Um, and uh, some of these p- same people who I just mentioned that are in this book are also in the same issue of the uh, journal that just came out. So we can add that to the uh, uh, show notes today. Oh, outstanding. Uh, Congratulations, truly. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. Well done. We're proud of you. Well, it's all the grace of God and your, your good prayers, guys. Aww. And the thread Thank of the two you. by four. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so uh let's jump into let's get into the dramatics now (laughs) so can i just add one one uh word to just to set this up so this is what dr Motz is going to go into now is uh, archbishop ganswine's famous speech from the 20th of may 2016 at the at the greg and the backdrop to this is, you know, we had already had a couple years of uh, grave personal heresy on on the part of Bergoglio, and many of us had already uh, figured out that something was very, very wrong. Um, and then a month before this speech, Amoris Letizia was published. Mm-hmm. And that's when we had, and Ann and I wrote about it extensively, but, uh, you know, just to summarize, that's when we had heresy officially promulgated as the magisterium of the church. There's heresy, blatant heresy in that document, and a true pope is incapable of doing that. Yep. So now about five weeks later, here comes Ganswine, and uh, talk about timing. Yeah. So that sets it up. So we're at the end of May 2016. Dr. Matza, what's your first excerpt that you're going to perform for us? Okay, I'll put on my best Georg Ganswine voice here. Um, <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah, don't whatever. do that and don't, and don't sing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Darn it. You guys are no fun. Oh, All sorry. Right. Benedict XVI has been daring enough to open the door to a new phase, to that historical turning point, which no one five years ago could have ever imagined. Since then, we live in an historic era, which in the 2000 year history of the church is without precedent. As in the time of Peter, also today, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church continues to have one legitimate pope. But today, we live with two living successors of Peter among us, who are not in a competitive relationship between themselves, and yet both have an extraordinary presence. We may add that the spirit of Joseph Ratzinger had already marked decisively the long pontificate of St. John Paul II, whom he faithfully served for almost a quarter of a century as prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Many people, even today, continue to see this 
new situation as a kind of exceptional state of the divinely instituted office of Peter, ein Art Gottlichen aus Namens But it is already time to assess the pontific. But is it already time to assess the pontificate of Benedict the Sixteenth? Uh, and then he goes on to talk about uh, Regoli, who whose book he is here promoting. And then he says, uh, talking about Benedict, I was present when he decided not to give up the name that he had chosen. Uh, in other words, he's doing, he's not following Pope Celestine V's example. Uh, he, he decided not to give up the name he had chosen as Pope Celestine V had done when on December 13th, 1294, a few months after the start of his ministry, he again became Pietro dal Marone. So uh, I'll just enter inter, into what's the word in, in I'll insert a Maza comment here. So notice that Ganswine says that P Pietro dal Marone became Celestine V, and then as of December 13th of that year, he went back to becoming again Pietro dal Marone. So in contrast, this is what uh, Ganswine says about Benedict. Since February 2013, the papal ministry is no longer what it was before. Again, let me insert some Maza here. Um, did you guys see this? This is incredible. Uh, he, Ganswine is telling us it, clearly that Pietro del Marone changed. He went from Pietro del Marone to Pope Celestine V to Pietro, back to Pietro del Marone again. But in the case of Benedict, it's the papal ministry that is no longer what it was before. It is and remains the foundation of the Catholic Church. And yet it is a foundation which Benedict XVI has profoundly and permanently transformed during his exceptional pontificate, Ausnamen Pontificat, regarding which the sober Cardinal Sedano, reacting simply and directly immediately after the surprising resignation, deeply moved and almost stunned, exclaimed that the news hit the cardinals who were gathered like a bolt from out of the blue. It was the uh, morning. Well, of, well, only the four, <laughs> only the four of them who actually understand Latin. Let me just throw that in. <laughs> Good point. It was the morning of that very day when, in the evening, a bolt of lightning with an incredible roar struck the tip of Saint Peter's dome, positioned just over the tomb of the Prince of the Apostles. Rarely has the cosmos more dramatically accompanied an historic turning point. Um, but it was, he just retired, right? It just was. <laughs> it was totally normal. Totally. To just like when you, like when, when you resigned your job that time. Oh, wait, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Okay. Keep going, Dr. Monson. I shall. Where shall we pick up from here? Because uh, this is a long speech, baby. A long yeah, speech. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, 
And almost so, so all while of you're it searching, is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> while you're searching, Dr. Matza, just, you know, that's the entire, um, how do I put it? The, the, the backdrop that you have to be hearing these words is that it's, if he just simply retired, then what is Ganswine talking about? Yeah, what is he talking about? If you resign, you resign. Yeah, I mean, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> you don't fundamentally transform an office by simply retiring or resigning from it. That's utterly nonsense. Nixon didn't fundamentally transform the presidency when when he resigned. There was complete continuity and complete juridical continuity, no confusion, nothing. Nixon didn't transform anything. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Matza, what are you dropping the, on us next? Are we okay, getting to so, the Immaculate Conception yet, or are we not quite Right, right now. Yet? Right, right now. It's coming, baby. Here we go. All right, here we go. Genswine continues. The exposition of these events by Regoli, or Regoli, I've heard it both ways, also merits consideration because he does not advance the claim that he sounds and fully explains this last mysterious step, not further enriching the swarm of legends with more assumptions that have little or nothing to do with reality. And I, too, a first-hand witness of the spectacular and unexpected step of Benedict XVI, I must admit that what always comes to mind is the well-known and brilliant axiom with which, in the Middle Ages, John Duns Scotus justified the divine decree for the immaculate conception of the Mother of God. Desuit, potuit, facet. That is to say, it was fitting because it was reasonable. God could do it. Therefore, he did it. I apply the axiom to the decision to resign in the following way. It was fitting because Benedict XVI was aware that he lacked the necessary strength for the extremely onerous office. He could do it because he had already thoroughly thought through from a theological point of view the possibility of Pope's emeritus for the future, so he did it. The momentous resignation of the theologian Pope represented a step forward, primarily by the fact that on February 11, 2013, speaking in Latin in front of the surprised cardinals, he introduced into the Catholic Church the new institution of quote-unquote Pope Emeritus, or Emeritus, I've heard it both ways, um, <laughs> stating that his strength was no longer sufficient to, quote, properly exercise the Petrine ministry, unquote. Okay, listeners, so listen to this now, because this is, this is very interesting. Ganswine says, the key word in that statement is munus petrinum, translated, as happens most of the time, with Petrine ministry. And yet, munus in Latin has a multiplicity of meanings. It can mean service, duty, guide, or gift, even prodigy. 
before and after his resignation. Benedict understood and understands his task as participation in such a Petrine ministry. That is to Stop say... Stop the presses. Munus Petrinum. I mean... What, what, I, I, I just... <laughs> you're just left stammering. I mean, and, and we're the crazy ones? And we're the crazy ones. And the other thing I want to go back to that you just read is that Ganswine goes and makes this huge point that, you know, that Pope Benedict had been prayerfully contemplating and studying this question of, of doing this. And yet there are people who tell us that we're crazy. There's no evidence whatsoever that Ratzinger had ever give any, given any of this any thought before. You know, never mind the mountain of writings that's in, you know, he's clearly either written himself, has edited the journals, it's his circle, it's his theological circle, they're all talking about this and writing about this for decades and decades, and then Ganswine goes to the Greg and specifically says that he's been thinking, studying, and contemplating this for, it's an implied and an extended period of time, and yet we're the ones who are making stuff up and are crazy. There's no evidence whatsoever that Pope Benedict ever thought about any of this, you know, bifurcation or shared Petrine ministry, fundamentally transforming the papacy that, you know, Mark and Anne and Dr. Matza apparently just made this all up out of whole cloth. And you just sit, stand there and just shake your head and like, I don't know. I don't know. Mark, you want to I mean, he's flat out, he's flat out comparing what Benedict did to the Immaculate Conception. Not, not the definition of the Immaculate Conception, the Immaculate Conception herself. Itself, right, correct. God making the Blessed Virgin held, held from the stain of original sin, not the definition of this fact, the act itself. And then, oh no, this is completely normal, guys. This is totes normal. I mean, <laughs> And then following it directly with the quote about continuing to participate in the Petrine ministry. It's yep. the, we're not twisting the words. No, no. This is this is crystal clear. Crystal, crystal clear. This is why it took me just a matter of days after this com comes out. I mean, it was it was instantaneous after I read this speech. Basically, all I had to do was, you know, consult with someone and say, is it okay for me to receive Holy Communion if I know that the that that the name of Francis was said at the at the Teigeter. Is that is that okay? And I'm still oh, absolutely no problem at all. No, and the person, the priest that I asked, wasn't even shocked that I even asked the question. It was a pretty. It was like, <laughs> why is it taking you so long to even ask this question? <laughs> you know? So, yeah, uh, it's that that was my delay, just making sure that everything was copacetic before I before I went public. So yeah. And what strikes me, guys, is, I don't know if it struck you, is that these last 10 days or so, everybody's talking about Ganswine as if he is the authority on whatever was going on inside the head of Benedict, right? And yet when you and I try to say that about this speech, we're like, oh, well, he's just Ganswine. That's not Benedict talking. That's yeah. Ganswine. I have to give a plug. Um, there's a really cool guy, and he's got a he's got a little blog. It's called St. Louis Catholic, and his post today oh, is this brilliant. Was fantastic. Have you seen it? It's yeah. fantastic. It was yesterday, what? actually. But yeah. yeah, hold on. Let me pull it up because I, I want to say it. He plagiarized Michael Knowles. 
oh now now we can we <laughs> this isn't <laughs> this isn't the vaudeville set we can steal each other's jokes can't we <laughs> <laughs> i think we can so um let's see how how does he put it um Oh, where is it? Frank Marshall, Frank Walker had it up on um, <laughs> statements that can be taken at face value. In statements that can be taken at face value from Gans Wine's book. An exhaustive list of, of statements that can be taken right. at face value from from Gans Wine's book, and the and the blog post is is completely empty. There's nothing there. It's great. <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes. That needs to go down in, po in for posterity. <laughs> Oh goodness. But it's true, you know, whatever we do see come out now from from Ganswine, we should expect it to be a complete 180 and complete nonsense and, you know, just don't be surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, I've said for years and years I trust that guy about as much as I can throw him by his eyebrows. He was playing both sides. He was head of both households until the Cardinal Seurat book fiasco when Pope Benedict co-wrote a book with Cardinal Seurat defending priestly celibacy because, you know, Bergoglio was talking about trying to do something to make it optional or, or to abolish it completely. And, um, and Pope Benedict wrote a book and don't make no mistake, Pope Benedict totally co-wrote the book with Cardinal Seurat and it got published and it took Bergoglio by surprise. He immediately fired Ganswine so Ganswine was no longer doing anything with Bergoglio because he had been he had been playing both. He was the head of both households, and then Bergoglio fired him and just said, "You you just go take care of Ratzinger." And so the only time you ever saw Ganswine was in the context of the Holy Father Pope Benedict receiving guests and things like that. That's all you ever saw. So that's he, he he's. I don't know. And he just got, so he got fired from his active, you know, because the, what that role is, is it's, you know, protocol, right. And audiences and, and things like that. So he, he got fired from that when that all happened, they made the, they made the book be changed and have uh, Benedict's name removed from it. Mm -hmm. And then the, uh, this is, I don't know if this is rumor or fact, but then he got called in. Well, the audience is a fact because it was on the Vatican website. Mm -hmm. Was it on Monday? Yeah. I think, you yeah. know, a um, couple days after the funeral. And uh, I don't know what happened at that audience. There's no there's no verbiage uh, on the on the Vatican website. I've just been that told the, that he was told to leave Rome. Well, what's come out since then is that he was given a, a handwritten letter from Bergoglio on the day of the funeral that he had until February 1st to get out. Because mm -hmm. he was living in, in the same residence as yeah. Pope Benedict. Right, exactly. Fredo, you're not my friend. <laughs> you're not my brother. <laughs> when you come to visit Benedict, I want to know a day in advance, <laughs> so I'm not there. <laughs> and, then he t and then he turned to to Al Neary and said, nothing happens to him while Benedict is alive. That's right. It's ex oh, my goodness. Okay. Mm. We're going to have to maybe post that. <laughs> it's just, we shouldn't be laughing, but, you know. So now that uh, Benedict's gone, could we, mm. you know, what the, do we expect the, uh, the baptism scene? from the godfather how messy will it get yep 
the what they've been saying in Rome for for almost ten years now, and everybody, far right, far left, centrists, if there's one thing that everyone agrees on, and they're all saying the same thing, it's they, and by they I mean Bergoglio, the Saint Gallen Mafia, Bergoglio's cabal, the anti the Roman circle, the Roman circle, whatever you want to call it, it every one of them has been saying they are waiting for Ratzinger to die. To do what? To do what? Well, the laundry list goes on. You'll know when you see it, Releasing a a sodomite wedding blessing, rebaptisms for transvestites, um, and then obviously the main objective, and we've all known this for a very long time, the main objective, and how you'll know that, that... it's over and the anti-church is fully in place is and that and the true church is truly in the catacombs is that they're going to try to change the words of consecration in the novus ordo so that it's just it's over so that it's over no more valid no more eucharist watch for that watch for that and bergoglio is is in poor health and i think that they are going to move very very quickly i think this is going to be a bumpy bumpy year Dr. Matza, did you want to continue with? Uh, sure. Yeah, there's more. The there's speech? more. <laughs> Believe it or not, there's yeah. more. Uh, he, Benedict, has left the papal throne. And yet, with the step made on February 11th, 2013, he has not at all abandoned this ministry. Instead, he has complimented the personal office with a collegial and synodal dimension as a quasi-shared ministry. you got to be kidding me. (laughs) As though, by this, he wanted to reiterate once again the invitation contained in the motto that the then Joseph Ratzinger took as Archbishop of Munich and Freising and which he then naturally maintained as Bishop of Rome, quote-unquote, cooperatores veritatis, which means, quote-unquote, fellow workers in the truth, unquote. In fact, it is not in the singular, but the plural. It is taken from the third letter of John, in which in verse 8 it is written, quote, we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers in the truth. Since the election of his successor, Francis, on March 13, 2013, there are not, therefore, two popes, but de facto an expanded ministry with an active member and a contemplative member. You gotta be kidding me. This is why Benedict XVI has not given up either his name or the white cassock. This is why the correct name by which to address him even today is Your Holiness. And this is also why he has not retired to a secluded monastery, but within the Vatican, as if he had only taken a step to the side to make room for his successor and a new stage in the history of the papacy, which he, by that step, enriched 
with the power station of his prayer and his compassion located in the Vatican Gardens. Did you guys want to comment or should I keep going? There's nothing to see here, doctor. There, yeah. <laughs> why, why are we even having this conversation? This is, there's nothing, there's nothing to see, there's nothing to talk about. Anyone who says that anything is amiss is clearly, you know, suffering from some sort of a severe psychiatric, psychiatric problem, an infantile attachment, and, oh, and, and, and papolatry, papolatry too, don't forget that, so. Oh, keep going, keep going. It was, quote unquote, the least expected step in contemporary Catholicism, Rigoli writes, and yet a possibility which Cardinal Ratzinger had already pondered publicly on August 10th, 1978. <laughs> in Munich. Ruh-roh. <laughs> in a homily on the occasion of the death of Paul VI. 35 years later, he has not abandoned the office of Peter. <laughs> it's almost farcical at a certain point. <laughs> Can I add an asterisk here? You, you uh, may. You may. A, a here's the dramatic asterisk. Canon 332 says, if the Roman pontiff wants to resign his office... It has to be done freely. Uh, now, <laughs> did 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 he did uh, did Georg Ganswein not just say, thirty-five years later, he has not abandoned the office of Peter? <laughs> it's laugh or cry, friends. I mean, it's These are not the droids that you're looking for. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> There are literally people who will look at that, who have looked at that and have written about that and said, yep. that's not what he meant. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what you talking about? What you talking about? <laughs> oh. Now, it, it, gets clear, it clearly means exactly the opposite of what he said. Look, and he oddly just enough, resigned, you know who okay? one of the people who says it means exactly the opposite of what he just said is Ganswein himself. Anyone who would make that argument is clearly insane. That's right. Like, that's that's right. <laughs> okay, gaslighter. <laughs> I smell methane, friends. I smell methane. <laughs> Thirty-five years later, he has not abandoned the office of Peter. Something which would have been entirely impossible for him. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. After his irrevocable, irrevocable. <laughs> acceptance of the office in April 2005. Uh, another, aster another dramatic asterisk. <laughs> Dr. Mazza and Ann Barnhart and, and, and uh, non-Venny Mark, you guys, you don't know what you're talking about. You guys are on crack. This, this, <laughs> this is Hunter Biden level crack smoking over here. How could you possibly misinterpret very plain statements here? Very plain statements. 
<laughs> do, do you see what I mean about having someone read it out to you? Yes. <laughs> How much it's like, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take a pregnant pause. Okay. Well, you're a man, a so you can do that now, apparently. <laughs> he is she. <laughs> By an act of extraordinary courage, he has instead renewed this office, even against the opinion of well-meaning and undoubtedly competent advisors. And with a final effort, he has strengthened it, as I hope. Of course, only history will prove this. But in the history of the church, it shall remain true. In the year 2013, the famous theologian on the throne of Peter became history's first Pope Emeritus. Since then, his role, allow me to repeat it once again, is entirely different from that of the Holy Pope Celestine V, who after his resignation in 1294, would have liked to return to being a hermit, becoming instead a prisoner of his successor, Boniface VIII. Oh, it was more similar to Celestine V than any of us would like, would maybe like to admit. <laughs> to date, in fact, there has never been a step like that taken by Benedict XVI. So it is not surprising that it has been seen by some as revolutionary, or to the contrary, as entirely consistent with the gospel. While still others see the papacy in this way secularized as never before, and thus more collegial and functional, or even simply more human and less sacred. And still others are of the opinion that Benedict XVI with this step has almost, speaking in theological and historical critical terms, demythologized the papacy. In his overview of the pontificate Regoli, let's see. So just a quick comment on that, yeah. Doc, while you're searching. Uh, yeah. it, it, that the notion of demythologizing the papacy, if you're not familiar with that term, it, it, it saturates all of the 60s and 70s uh, you know, Teutonic theology, and and th they were all about this. And if you've listened to any of the podcasts or read any of the blog posts about the um, uh, the book from Archbishop Miller, his dissertation basically on uh, the papacy and uh, future forms of the that that the papacy may may take and things like that, that term is all over that theology. What they were looking for were different ways in which the papacy could be seen as something other than a monarchy. The yes. monarchy was their enemy. Yep. So they wanted to do something to the papacy to make it anything but a monarchy, turn it into some sort of college or, you know, yeah. having the church being ruled in, in a way that was more... Um, Synodal. Synodal or, yeah, even... Democratic. Um, yes. And the impetus for Miller's dissertation, and the whole first part of it is, the question that they're dealing with is, how do we get the Lutherans back in? And they want the Lutherans back in because the Kirchensteuer tax in, in Germany is, is billions. It's still billions of dollars per year. Um, 
And as it stands now, you know, there's about half of the Germans are Catholic, roughly half of them are Lutheran, and then there's a just there's a small percentage left over that are evangelical or whatever. And on your on your tax returns, if you pay income tax, you have to declare which, you know, what religion, and then you pay a tax on top of your income tax. So it's something Correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but I want to say it's something like 7% of your income tax due. Not 7% of your income, but 7% of your tax due. Correct me if I'm wrong, German listeners. Um, so this is a non-trivial sum of money. And so think about this. I mean, to this day, we're still talking about billions of dollars in, in revenue to the church they want all those guys wanted to get their hands into this day walter casper wants to get to this day it's the whole reason for the you know the push That's for right. sodomy and adultery and yep. divorce and all that to be you know this is we need to allow all this because well we're gonna we're gonna lose everybody because what right. germans have have the ability to do is they can formally in writing no joke apostatize draw up a document of apostasy i no longer i forsake the catholic church or lutherans can do the same thing they can say i forsake christianity i am no longer a part of this and then i don't know what happens i think maybe I'm, i don't know if they get to choose a charitable organization a sexual uh, not a sexual hey <laughs> there's a Freudian slip but that's that's actually a funny joke because the um the catholic cardinals there was a group of catholic cardinals that literally had part ownership of a um porn pornography production company mm -hmm. um but um they can they can reassign their quote unquote Kirchensteuer seven percent of inc income tax due to a secular charity or something like that but so they everybody's hemorrhaging members um the germans and and the st gallen mafia and walter casper at the head of that being german he wants to get his claws on the lutheran um, portion of the Kirchensteuer tax, so desperate to get some sort of a concordat or a, or a treaty signed with the Lutherans in Germany so that they can get at least a cut of the Lutheran um, church, church tax revenue. And understand, guys, um, that the German church has so much money that they're not only helping to fund the Vatican, they were funding basically South America, and especially, I'll give you a guess, what country in South America do you imagine that the German church was essentially funding? Argentina? Uh, yeah, it would be Argentina, yeah, absolutely. So they want to get the, the Lutherans back in, and they want to also get the Anglicans back in. But the Anglicans were a lower priority, but their whole thing was is that we have to get rid, we have to demythologize the papacy, we have to get rid of any notion of it as a monarchy. And guys, this is the reason that Freemasonry was founded in London in 1717 destroy the papacy destroy the papacy and that's why you know listeners to this podcast know we're all standing around here pulling our hair out that they've got trads who are so intransigent that francis is pope because they're desperate to keep their horrible horrible little jobs 
talk about selling yourselves out for a pittance. They're so desperate to keep their horrible, horrible little jobs that you've got people like Peter Kwasniewski standing up in front of people and saying, we all need to get used to the idea of being schismatics. And the, the church has been wrong for 2000 years. This papolatry has to stop. You've got now people like Peter Kwasniewski completely aligned with the founding and, and root principle of Freemasonry. And he, he, and he so twisted and turned and he's so, uh, so desperate to keep, keep income stream, to keep social connections, to keep worldly respect, that he's just, he's so blinded by that, that he can't even stop and objectively look at the position that he's taken and realized you're doing Freemasonry's work. You're doing Satan's work by trying to destroy the papacy. Okay, what are you going to do if there's some miracle, um, you know, short of St. Peter and Paul appearing in the sky with flaming swords over St. Peter's Basilica and, you know, shining a shaft of light down on this man will now be the successor, successor pope. Anything short of that, let's just say hypothetically, you get, you know, Pope Leo Fourteenth or whoever you want to call him, um, meaning some super orthodox, strong, take no prisoners, get getting her done, cleaning things up. These trad ink people have now spent the last 10 years basically saying nobody has to listen to the Pope. Francis is definitely the Pope, no, but what this proves is that nobody has to listen to him. He's meaningless. He has no real authority. Nothing that the Pope says or does matters. You've now completely hamstrung yourself. You've cut off the limb that you're sitting on, which is, which is a, a, an image that they themselves like to use. They're doing it themselves. It is precisely the authority of the papacy that we need to get out from under this, this mess. You need a man to come in, be the pope, and in humility know and believe in the power that he has and just start knocking heads, excommunicating people, liquidate the College of Cardinals. I mean, there should be, there should be one bull after another coming out of the, coming out of the ap apostolic palace from a saintly Pope Leo XIV working to fix all this. Now you have an entire oeuvre, you've got 10 years worth of trad Catholics arguing that the papacy is meaningless, the Pope has no real authority, you don't have to listen to anything he says, no, nothing he says matters, and if you put too much stock in the papacy, then you're guilty of a violation of the first, first commandment, the, the idolatry of the papacy. Papolatry is what they call it. And you're just sitting here shaking your head, thinking, I know these people. These are smart people. This is the, it's easy to think your way through this and see logically how this doesn't work and how you're being set up by, by Satan. I mean, it's like Satan's playing chess and these people are trying to play checkers on a chessboard or something. I just, I, I don't, I don't understand. It's, it's absolutely bizarre to me how people who had, had such a strong faith and are so intelligent and are so literate can permit themselves to be so blinded and and tied in tied in knots and doing doing the work of freemasonry and doing ultimately the work of satan in attacking the papacy it blows my 
mind. It, it is jarring, so but we always have to remember, you know, what what creature had the most soaring intellect in yeah. the history of the universe? Yep. And what did he choose? Yeah. Yep. You, you know, so that's that's the answer, and uh, it's Satan, folks. If you don't know who we're talking about, yep. and that happens, that does happen, and it's it's you know the root of it is pride, of course. Yeah. So, um, you know, we need to be we need to be mindful of our own faith, and we talk about some of these things that are uh, almost assuredly coming down the pike in terms of. Uh, uh, well, I guess we already have the ratification of sodomy. It mm-hmm. is, uh, that's a done deal. But then going all the way towards nullifying... Oh, female ordination, female ordination. I forgot to mention that. Right. They're totally going to go for that. Yeah. yeah With yeah. you know an end game of invalidating uh, the new mass. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't... I don't know that I can think of anything beyond that. But what I was trying to... The point I was trying to make, you know, stay close to home, folks. Mind your, mind your own store. Make sure, you know, lay out the options that are in front of you. What's the next thing that's going to happen in terms of the traditional mass? Where's that, where are the further restrictions on that? But we still haven't seen the most restricted document on that. No. And that's probably coming out pretty shortly. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know what that's going to mean for the former Ecclesia Day communities, but uh, uh, you probably should be pulling up a map of the SSPX, I can tell you that. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Matza, what do you think? People break down into two groups when they experience something unlucky or lucky. Group number one sees it as more than luck, more than coincidence. They see it as a sign, evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them. Mm -hmm. Group number two sees it as just pure luck or unluck, just a happy turn of chance. Uh, could be bad, could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they're on their own. And that fills them with fear. But there's a whole lot of people in the other group, group number one, and they're looking at a miracle. And deep down, they feel that whatever is going to happen, there will be someone there to help them. And that fills them with hope. So what you've got to ask yourself is, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs, sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? Or look at the question this way, is it possible there are no coincidences? You, you are going to, of course, quote Dirty Harry now, aren't you? <laughs> I was doing do, a dramatic do reading of Mel Gibson well, from do Signs. You? <laughs> well, that was, that was M. Night Shyamalan, and he's a Philly boy, so shout out to him. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah yeah! That, what's that's the um, Mel Gibson the space aliens in the cornfield yeah. movie, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Signs, signs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I, he M Night Shyamalan, I think, uh, plagiarized Saint Augustine's City of God, who basically said that there's you know, two groups of people in the world. Mm-hmm. One of them mm. looks to themselves, and the other ones look to God. Um, and, and the know, context w- in the movie of that happening was that he went to a party and a girl got drunk <laughs> and almost vomited into his mouth. And, you know, that kind of is an allegory for this situation, too. So. Oh, man. <laughs> and he just leaned away. He just leaned away. <laughs> I knew the second that it happened that it was a miracle. It was a miracle. <laughs> I, could, she, I could have been kissing her when she threw up. Yeah, that's right. I might never have recovered. <laughs> I'm a miracle man. 
I'm a miracle man. <laughs> well, folks, oh, we're rolling speak, up on... Speaking of two- Mel Gibson, speaking of Mel Gibson, apparently production on um, his movie that's going to cover the harrowing of hell is going Yay. to start mm-hmm. production pretty quick. So Yay. that's going to be interesting. That's going to be fascinating. Well, we I should pray about. We should pray for that because, you know, there are going to be all sorts of forces... Yeah. Aligned against him and, and what he's trying to, to, to bring out there. And when he made the Passion of the Christ, he had not abandoned his marriage and he was in the state of grace. I mean, presumably. He said he was going to Mass and, and confession, Mass every day, and I'm sure confession very frequently. And he is no longer. Uh, he is no longer fulfilling his marriage vows. So. Let's pray that it's that it's good and that Caviezel is good and and you know make sure that everything is is on the up and up. We hope and pray. We can't know the internal forum, but we certainly hope that he's uh, certainly he knows that he better be operating in the state of grace when undertaking something like this, or he's really going to be in for it. Yeah, one would hope. One would hope. They uh, just canceled him as the uh, I saw head that. of the. Uh, Mardi Gras in this year's Mardi Gras in Louisiana, oh, New Orleans. Oh. Well, uh, Mar- Mardi Gras, that's bad news, too. So that's a good thing. That's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. What people should do on Mardi Gras is they should start my course, uh, Maza course. Yes. Uh, Tuesday the 21st, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, preparing ourselves for the return of the king. 21st of February. Go to edmundmaza.com. Nice. All right. Let me see. Let me go through my notes and see if there's anything else that I wanted to hit. While you're doing that, Anne, I'll just bring up that I put a post up today. It's short and sweet and very shareable mm-hmm. in terms of the just a, just a quick summation of all the ways, all of the ways in which Bergoglio is not Pope, never was Pope. And, and never will, will be Pope. Yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but it's, uh, it's very, like I said, short, and it's bullet points and shareable. Yeah. Um, just real quick, something that comes up in conversation a lot is people saying, now that Pope Benedict Ratzinger is dead, your, your whole position about whether or not his, um, his resignation was valid or not is, is moot because he's dead and nothing could be farther nothing from the truth. Further in fact, almost right. nothing has changed. Almost nothing has changed. Um, the only thing that's legally germane to the question is what he did in February of 2013, basically. And there was never any need really to, you know, ask him any questions because everything that he said and did was laid out publicly. There's videotape of all of it. There's videotape of, um, his, his, uh, making the non-solemn propter declaration at the, at the consistory. There's videotape of his final audience on February 27th. Really legally, that's all you need. So there was never really any need to go and interrogate him, question him. It, you, you don't go to him and ask any questions. You go to him and you just tell him. Now, sadly, nobody corrected him. Um, we, we can only hope and pray. We pray for his soul. Um, but nothing has changed. It's, it's exactly the same statement that would be made now. Significant canonical irregularities have been identified with regards to the putative resignation proffered by Pope Benedict 
the 16th in February of 2013, pending further investigation, I hereby declare a state of emergency suspense. It's exactly the same statement. The fact that Pope Benedict is dead doesn't change that at all. Um, and, and that final general audience of uh, 27th February 2013, the words from Ganswine that you heard Dr. Matsu read out are constantly referring back to yeah. concepts in that uh, speech, in that speech. Uh, yep. from, from Benedict. So we'll link to that as well. Uh, the one thing I wanted to say about if you know has is the situation different now? Has anything changed? The only thing that's really changed is that, and this has happened in past history, where upon the death of a true pope, an anti-pope could be grandfathered in as the true pope. The reason Bergoglio uh, can't be grandfathered in is because he's not Catholic. He's not. Catholic. He's a public heretic, so he can't be grandfathered into an ecclesiastical office. He's not even inside the church. Exactly. And so there, I think there are people who might be thinking that, well, uh, he's been grandfathered in and now the Holy Spirit is going to go to work and you're going to see all kinds. He's going to reverse this and he's going to rever reverse that. Uh, <laughs> kids, no, no. His behavior during Pope Benedict's um, uh, death and funeral, he's descending into into layers of evil that are that are heretofore probably unseen. Um, no. And and this also is kind of in the same vein, wanting to talk to the people who have fallen for this utterly ridiculous Ratzinger code nonsense, who are sitting around waiting for some, you know, great document or something to be released declaring that, oh, I, I tricked everybody and I was playing 15 dimensional upside down under, underwater chess and, and he, oh, I, I fooled everybody and I'm the greatest churchman in 2000 years and I saved the church from the Freemasons and this, that and the other guys that there is no such thing as that. That is, that is nonsense that was made up by an Italian guy who I've been told isn't even a practicing Catholic who wrote that thing. He's a, he's a fabulous sensationalist. And he, was, he, he, he called it the Ratzinger Code, trying to play off of the Da Vinci Code, trying to get rich quick off of, off of selling a sensational book. Do not fall for this nonsense. I'm also worried that there's going to be pious liars who start writing up fake last testaments of Pope Benedict. And you're going to start seeing these start floating around. And you're going to start seeing and hearing about, you know, some some Italian woman who's 64 years old and is ignored by her husband, had a hot flash, and Pope Benedict appeared to her and and told her this 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 and this guys no you, you have to be adult about this he knew about i mean ganswine said he knew about um uh bergoglio trying to suppress the old mass with tradition traditiones custodes he knew about that and it broke his heart and it made him sad and he didn't say anything it did come out that he wrote a letter of support to the superior general of the fraternity of St. Peter. But that, of course, had to be, it was, it was, oh, this has to be kept top secret, top secret um, until after he died. And the, the fraternity of St. Peter said nothing about it publicly until after Pope Benedict died. Um, is, is this the act of someone who's playing, who's actually playing um, 15D upside down underwater chess? No, it's it's a it's a man who just stopped, who 
didn't have faith in himself and in the office that he held, and he quit, or he attempted to quit. He failed in his attempt to quit, whether he liked it or not. He needs our prayers, and we need to be realistic about the situation and guard and help each other not be scandalized. There's a lot of people who are honestly are going to lose their faith because they bought into this Ratzinger Code nonsense that, oh, Pope Benedict, he tricked everybody, he fooled everybody, and there's not going to be any document that comes out and says, you know, that that says, oh, I fooled everybody, and here's here's what I actually meant. It's It's not coming, guys. It's not coming. So... Well, and people are also being scandalized uh, by those who, uh, the, the, the Francis is definitely Pope people. You know, if Francis is definitely Pope, what's the point? What's the point of all this, right? Mm -hmm. What's the point of having a Pope? What's the point of being Catholic if, if this is the, really the situation? Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's, uh, and that's kind of the point. That's back to my point about they're all basically, they are doing the Freemasonic agenda. They're, they're declaring they're that doing their bidding. is irrelevant. Yep. Right. Un unwittingly. I mean, I don't believe that these people are in bed with Freemasonry. I don't believe that they're crypto Freemasons or anything like that. I think that they are mistakenly and unwittingly they've been tricked into embracing this agenda, but on, you know, on the other side of the road, you know how the old saying, you can go into the ditch on the right side of the road, you can go into the ditch on the left side of the road, but you're still in the ditch. You know, that's what these people have done. They've gone into the, the anti, anti-ecclesial, anti, anti-papal, um, and ultimately, I guess the word that you assign, you would assign to that ultimately is schismatic. Schis the definition of schism is people who who are not in union with the see of Rome. And I, I'm sorry, but if you're sitting around arguing that that the see of Rome is irrelevant and it has no it has no real genuine authority and it's nothing but a meaningless figurehead position, and the less there is of it, the better it is for everybody. Um, then, then you're orthodox. Yeah, you're, you're Eastern Orthodox. And a lot of those people, the ones who haven't become full-on raging atheist apostates, there's another camp of them who are going Eastern Orthodox. They're going to jump in bed with the Russians. Like, well, dude, you, wow. <laughs> if you can't see that one either, I mean, come on. It's, um, it's pretty amazing. Well, Dr. Matza had to run. He had an appointment, so... We've lost him. Mark, what do you think? Do you want to wrap this wrap this bad boy up? I think we're pushing hard at two hours here. So, yeah, I think we should, uh, unless Super Nerd is back with us. Super Nerd, are you back? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have something I need to do for work. So, Mark, if you wouldn't mind wrapping it up. Okay. Thanks, Super Nerd. I, I will. Thank you, Super Nerd. Feedback for the podcast. The email address for the show, if you have any suggestions, is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Ann's benefactors, at least one mass every day, plus one requiem every week for everyone who died in the previous week. Uh, please pray for these and all priests offering these masses and masses all over the world. The, uh, the attacks upon them will only increase as we uh, march further into our, uh, our situation. So spiritual warfare is a real thing. And uh, if you're not participating consciously, 
you're participating in a way that you probably don't want to know about. Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you got some value out of this or previous podcast and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more information. And uh, we thank him for everything that he does. It's, uh, it's a lot of work keeping the, sites, the websites going and doing the editing for uh, the podcast. So um, I don't know how he finds the time to do everything, to be honest, but uh, we, uh, we thank him for it. And I don't know if I'm turning it back over to Anne. Uh, if you have an altered Matthew 17, 20. Um, yes, but plan. I have okay. to think about, I still have to think about it while I say it. So um, our fourfold intention, fast twice a week if you can, that the Bergolian anti-papacy be publicly recognized and that Bergoglio be removed as anti-pope and the whole thing be nullified. So that hasn't changed. Petition one has not changed. Petition number two, that it be public, publicly recognized that Pope Benedict was the one and only living vicar of Christ from April of 2005 until um, the morning of December 31st, 2022, and that the sea is now vacant and that the sea be validly and visibly filled as soon as possible, okay? That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in the state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and uh, prayers for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger. Nothing less will do. Our Lady of Copacabana, slayer of the demonic demon that was worshipped inside the Vatican. Pray for us, St. Tiny Princess. Pray, for, pray us. for us. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Amen. Thank you, Anne. Uh, until next time, this is Mark. Stay frosty, my friends. Thanks, guys. God bless. Thank you.